Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Discipline is like the most important thing, I think, in any facet of life. If you want to be good at something, you want to do something well. If you put the time to focus and sit around and think, then creative stuff will happen for you. If you can create your own engine and your own daily routine, that discipline will carry you for a very long time. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz in Montreal. Very excited about it here. Such a great area, such great comedians. Wonderful, wonderful time. You've never been up here, you gotta come here. If you've been here before, come again. If you need to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz on Instagram or X. <laughs> or at barrycats.com. And I'm very excited about my guest today, Nimesh Patel, just an extraordinary comedian and person. There's just something really, really unique about this guy. Just the way he handles himself, the way his comedy is, his poise, and his journey, an incredible journey from, you know, the son of parents who immigrated to the United States from India in the 70s, he grew up in Newark, New Jersey area, which is not exactly Beverly Hills, and was a guy who <laughs> did all kinds of odd jobs in a really difficult, really troubling neighborhood, but figure out a way to navigate through the difficult times and get out of there and get to NYU and working on his career in <laughs> finance but obviously didn't really follow that, and thank God he didn't. Once he started working as a stand-up comedian, his voice was so original and unique that people in the business started noticing, people like Kevin Hart, people like the Just for Laughs Festival, people like Chris Rock, people like Saturday Night Live and Lorne Michaels. Why do you get noticed like that? How do you get noticed? You get noticed by f***ing people up and being better than the other people around you at not only figuring out how to perform when the lights are brightest, but how to write material 
that is unique, original, and authentic, as opposed to ordinary, unoriginal, and non-authentic. And that's what this guy does. And when he gets in a writer's room, or he gets on a show, or he figures something out like that, he does it in a way where he creates no stress and no drama and just makes things happen. And even in the off chance that something happens to him that does create drama, he still shines, still gets respect, and still keeps working. And I think if you can figure that out, let me tell you something. You're going to have the possibility of the kind of extraordinary career that Nimesh Patel has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Now Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Take us through another of your processes. So you, you, you shoot the hour. You're working so hard to shoot that last hour. You, you're putting it together. You're editing. And you, as you just said, everything you edit out, well, not everything, because I'm sure there's some material that didn't fit the tone that you had that you're going to use for your next special. But so you finish shooting the special and you realize i got a tour coming up yeah. after this is launching because the way you decided to launch it was self uh production mm -hmm. and uh, you producing it yourself you spending the money yourself and you launching and broadcasting it yourself which we're going to talk about in a second sure but you you now have dates coming up. So you're done, you wake up the next morning, you look on your website or your feed and you're like, holy shit, I've gotta be in Irvine uh, <laughs> in six weeks. And I built a special, I edited, I put it out, and a month later I'm in Irvine. It's literally, yeah. It's how, how am I gonna give them a new hour? Where do you come, like, what are you d doing to, give your audience who came to see you and if you don't deliver they're not watching a special they're telling everybody you suck and they're not coming back yeah yeah i think uh that's that's always the big fear um it's been a fear for two tours now right like the second tour the, th the lucky lefty tour i had all these dates lined up i remember i taped the special the first one thank you china in december 21 january two weeks after the three weeks after the special taping i had like a 13 show run in in california to, but that's the taping you could still do the material until it launches on youtube no i i i just had a point of i did some but i had this like like no i gotta i got all these dates lined up already i'm gonna have to start working on that new shit i have to start immediately you know and so like the three weeks i had off after taping thank you china i was like just going through all my notes figuring out what i didn't put in like what i could start structuring together and just like i when i went on stage i made sure i alerted the audiences hey i did all this shit already especially coming out 
I got to start a new, I got notes and you'll see that tonight. Like if you come to the show tonight, like I, I will have notes. Uh, so do you feel like when you God, I'm so glad we're talking about this. This uh-huh. is, uh, this is so important. I've always had a feeling about notes. That's not a positive feeling. Uh-huh. This isn't an indictment on you and casting directors get mad at me when I say this and acting coaches as well is that I get really bummed out when I'm in a room and somebody comes in holding the script and looking at the script and it's like, like, I want to see what you're going to do when the camera's on and the camera's on. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so my thought process is, and please feel free to tear me a new colon, is that as Sinatra used to say, there's there's plumbers and school teachers and and they work so hard and they in a year they make what you make in one night maybe. Mm-hmm. And they're saving up their money and they're coming in and they're coming in to see like a show where it's really important to them and a guy has a notepad on the side of the thing is like okay guys uh just want you know i'm working on some new shit here uh okay this next bit uh i get it to me that bothers me as a comedy person now again i don't i i'm not bothered by you because i watch <laughs> the material you like you're not doing the special with a notepad on why are you doing the special with a notepad because you don't want your audience that pays and one's going to pay for you in the future to see you in a vulnerable state like that they want your material to be vulnerable and they want to know your vulnerability but they want to know you're a consummate professional and just to keep going with the sinatra reference and i'm sorry it's 60 years old but you know he wore tuxes for a reason Mm -hmm. every night because he believed that he needed to give his audience everything they paid for even if you know because he felt like if he wore regular clothes he wasn't giving them as much of value i i hear that point and to me but what i've benefited from and what i take advantage of is the fact that a lot of people that come to see me it's their first comedy show ever and I don't think that the majority of every comedy audiences in general understand the process required to get to that that point where you can put on a tux and command the room and march around now yes it is a it is a it is a decision and it's a trade-off in the sense that maybe some people will be like you pay twenty dollars to be here and he's looking at notes but mind you I'm not doing so uh, like the whole time it's just they're they're there as to remember okay i want to do this joke i forgot this one let's hear this tag kind of thing i'm not staring at it and reading it's more just like this is a reference point and yes it's a trade-off but to me if i'm a comedy fan and i understand the process it's kind of cool to me that someone's up there like oh like this is this is how the, it goes. We're part, we're at the gym watching this guy trained so that he could play at the, you know, in the arena at some point. Can I go toe to toe with you for a second? Please. Do you mind? No, let's go. This is your podcast. <laughs> the reason why Tom Brady is the goat is because when the cameras are on, uh-huh. he's the goat. They pay millions and billions of dollars for the rights to see him perform when the lights go on. Right. The club to me is not. They don't, the, they don't pay millions of dollars 
to watch him train in the locker room. That's not why he he's the goat. I agree. But that is why the but that is why he's the goat. Uh-huh. And I want you as a comic to train in every comedy club up to the point where you're doing your tour that i want i don't care if you have a notepad on there it's because that's your that's your tom brady training camp Uh but then when the tour comes and the people are like coming to the theaters and whatever that's when the lights are on shining bright and that's why i think differently yeah no i i i I agree to an extent in terms of uh, uh, notes on a notes at a theater versus notes at a club for sure uh, you know the, that that the theater kind of element elevates the the show itself but to me I don't know I if I'm a comedy club goer and I'm out for a, a $40 night on a Friday night and it's just I'm in my hometown and we're just in our shorts <laughs> you know I got my cargo shorts on my sandals on I'm just here to have fun I from my perspective the only my the only perspective that matters to me right now is I I ensure that they have a very good time because I'm having fun like to me I'm having the most fun when I've got a bunch of new shit I don't know what the f*** gonna happen with it I'm trying stuff out like because it's not like I'm going up and bombing for 45 minutes I've definitely done that but that's not the intent it's like okay this is I'm raw right here I'm gonna have a great time all of you are gonna feel like you got a show and that you got a show that's very different than anyone else's show and that's what I try to ensure to me it's like yes you did not pay millions of you didn't pay a $700 ticket to watch Tom Brady practice for sure but you also didn't pay $700 to watch me practice you paid 20 bucks they will yeah yeah at some point and they'll get that $700 show for sure but right now at the and again I understand the trade-off I wish I were as skilled a comedian that I could come up with a brand new hour uh, a month after dropping an hour you're, and still memorize it you're, st- you're wildly skilled I, I have I'm very good at few things i would hope i'm uniquely qualified to tell you that you're wildly skilled thank you very much uh, it's incredible the construction and the detail that goes into like because i always study those things now mm-hmm. don't get me wrong i mentioned the tell at the cellar and monster and but there's no his whole thing is like there's no every third or fourth joke not hitting and that drives him into another thing so I'm watching like something that's not prepared. Mm -hmm. There's nothing. It seems like he's meticulous over everything. But when he puts his hour together, as he shared with me outside the comedy cellar, he said, listen, that stuff you see there where every third joke. I said, but that's your winning formula. That's what people love to see. Yeah, but my special, Barry, everything's got a hit and I'm really working hard on it. And the thing I want to talk about to you about in common with the tell, mm-hmm. which you sort of did, and, and you can again tell me if I'm wrong. He told me that he is not going to do hours anymore. Uh-huh. He's only going to do half hours because he says his audience still loves the half hour. He gets as much traction out of the half hour and he doesn't burn the entire hour material. And I noticed your special that you self-produced 
was sort of like I, I guess you'd call it a hybrid between a half hour and an hour and I wondered a 45 what, minute <laughs> and, I, and I wondered what your thought process was of not doing 30 but not doing an hour mm -hmm. and doing 45 because it's I think you're pretty well aware that it's very rare to see a 45 minute special yeah I think I mean it was just like what in what if if the material was an hour and a half, I would have put out an hour and a half. If the material was thirty, it would have. It, it was just what jokes service the story that I wanted to tell, and in what time frame did they come out? Thirty. I could have cut it to thirty, but I felt I would have lost a lot, and uh, I think the people that came out would have been like, "That was short." Um, whereas if I did an hour and change, it would have felt like this motherfucker talked about his balls for an hour and a half. Like <laughs> that's crazy to me. Like forty-five it just ended up what it was and uh it felt right like i got every joke in that i wanted to tell i got the story arc through um both from what happened with the the cancer itself and then like what my arc was which was none uh very very small arc for me um uh, having trying to learn something i didn't learn anything at all and that was it you know the thank you china hour quote unquote was 55 minutes because that was just what the material was and that's how you know uh the set i had structured was uh what? i like the direction of uh tighter tighter sets and like in you know this next four months when i start my theater tour up i've kind of made it a, a quiet goal to to see how much i could burn see, see how much material i could burn um as i go towards the end like that tour ends right now in december and i the goal is like in every city i'll, I'll try to write and burn at least five to ten new minutes um it's just like a challenge to keep shit interesting for me and i think uh and i think also comedy audiences because they're so f inundated with comedy these days um the more you can hold their attention uh with different stuff like the, the more you can feed their machine the better and like if two thirty minutes is end up will hold their attention more than one hour thing will so hey everybody i hope you're enjoying this episode as much as i am if you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business that's why i'm offering you my blueprint for success a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Now, you said something to me that kind of... Tell our audience the most common inspirational thing that a fan tells you after a show or online comments and what's the rarest thing that's positive 
that somebody has told you? The most common thing uh, is probably like, man, I was having a rough day. And thank you very much for that. Uh, I, you got me through the pandemic. Like those, I've heard that quite a few times. And I'm like, that's really cool. Um, it feels good to hear that. The rarest thing I heard... It's, it's probably a function of a joke that I told. Um, yeah, I I put the joke on the I put this joke out on the internet. I've done it a few times, and it's a true story about uh, uh, in St. Louis, like two years ago when I was first when I, my first tour. I got in the elevator, and like there was people wearing conference lanyards, and I was like, "What is this conference about?" Because I'll talk to anybody, and I'm like, "Oh, it's a." It's an annual meetup of parents with deceased children. And I'm like, what? oh, shit. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't know this was going to be like, that's my elevator talk. And, and I, the, the joke is like a minute and a half long, but I told that joke in Philadelphia. And a woman came up to me after the show and was like, thank you so much. Like, I lost my son four years ago and I haven't laughed in a very long time. And like... I love that joke. Thank you so much. Like I was like, thank you. I'm so sorry um, for your loss, obviously, but I, I couldn't, I can't comprehend that, but I'm glad that you were able to, to find whatever reprieve, whatever short reprieve you could have from that. And I hope I never hear that again, <laughs> but that was like one of those moments. I was like, man, that's crazy. That's that lady's going to remember that joke for maybe the rest of her life. Uh, and that, that feels cool unfortunately the circumstances are terrible but that was I remember, that that i remember distinctly i could like tell you which seat she was in which was at helium comedy club august 2022 i think and the joke crushed in the room and she i remember her laughing like very hard um i'm so glad i did not ask her during the show why she was laughing so hard because that would have brought the room down for sure but uh yeah that was that's it I sit across from you and I, I, you know, it's, it's odd, you know, when you, you meet people and you just talk with them and, and you just have this vibe about you that's smart, but calm and stress-free. But then the other side of me, the clairvoyant side of me says, there's this hamster wheel going around in your head over and over again, but yet the outside of you and your material seems so staid and so calm and so efficient and so non no distractions but yet when i sit across from you my instinct tells me that your brain is going mental yes i'm i'm in a perpetual state of <laughs> I don't want to say panic, but uh, just like all right, I got, I got stuff to do. I got to write these jokes. Like most of my material is like done like three minutes before showtime. And I'm like, what the fuck am I gonna talk about? And then the adrenaline and the the preparation kick in. And I've just found that uh, the calmer I am uh, throughout the day, the easier it is to write and produce and create and right now like the only thing i'm constantly going on in my head is like and this is unfortunate it's the side of the business which is just like i ha how do i market the material and until i get to a point where i don't have to worry about the marketing of it all 
I'm gonna have this hamster wheel going on in my head. It takes so much away from the actual writing and the art of it. Um, but whatever you're doing to market it, and I don't, I don't have a clear understanding. Like when I watch your social media, I don't know. I'm being honest with you. I don't know what you're doing that's making people come in droves to watch you but when i watch you i know what is happening mm -hmm. but you know when you do social media there's post after but it's a volume business yes and the volume business is not known for quality correct i just had this conversation uh two hours ago and you know i hate to have participated in the dilution of stand-up comedy in general because i have for sure uh if i haven't been a very i think i i don't want to say early pioneer but i was definitely on the earlier side of people perpetuating clips and crowd work and all that and uh i wasn't uh, i didn't have enough foresight to be like okay like quality is what's going to matter here i because the engine the platforms i was playing on tiktok primarily and and youtube shorts and instagram reels they were rewarding uh they were rewarding quantity the algorithms themselves and it's become apparent now uh that quality will always win and that quality is what i should be creating and so that is a that's a balance that's a new balance that i have to strike um and i will strike you know because i quality is kind of not easy but it is something i i do create it's just the stuff that i've had to put out in the interest of time and in interest in feeding that machine has been uh, a, a large volume and again like having done like now 400 500 shows in the last two and a half years you're gonna get a lot of stuff and it's like okay well if the machine wants this stuff then i should give it to it and now i've got a i've created a minimal viable product in the 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 clips that i put out now i have to change that product to be a higher quality product and uh i hate talking about stand-up in that way like but that's like the marketing part of my brain which i've had to activate because i don't have the capabilities control p you know a bunch of tickets wherever i want to go i still have to really pound the pavement and get people to come out tell our audience about taking risks and spending your own money <laughs> in large 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 quantities to yes. produce your own specials uh -huh. and when you get the no from the networks how you turn as i like to say the no into the yes and your audience essentially tells the networks to go themselves <laughs> and you put the money in your pocket directly uh i don't recommend it uh no i'm kidding i think uh i think the calculus the calculus is very clear um if you talk to people who have done it about what the sweet spot is numerically for to how much you should spend and how much you could turn how much how you can use those that spend into marketing material because at the end of the day the the stand-up special is just marketing right it just becomes a one giant marketing piece for your live shows and so if you can you can find the math out and how much you should spend to turn into clips and turn that into driving revenue when i early on the first special i spent an exorbitant amount 
like way too much for and that's because my expected return was to end up on hbo or netflix they were like licensing stuff or like buying stuff so take the tour out of it these are commercials for your tours and for people coming in but let's just remove that even though it's not fair to remove it uh-huh. you don't have to tell me how much you spend for both specials combined mm-hmm. With the algorithm and the money you make from the views on YouTube, what percentage? Zero. 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 It can't be zero. Zero. It's uh, you made zero. It, I mean, no, it's not ze- it, percentage-wise. It's probably it's if you were to round down, it's probably close to zero. It's like no, imp- the YouTube revenue is non-existent. Uh, like to to commensurate with the expenditure that might just, that might be me i don't know what my peers have spent versus how much they've made on their youtube revenue but for me it's like almost insignificant and and a lot of that is because for i think thank you china and for lucky lefty very early on when they was getting the most views i turned ads off because i wanted the experience to be you watch the special great so let's keep going with that so the year before you launch the first special Mm -hmm. don't tell me how much you made but just let's look at that what you made that previous year let's just say it's a hundred dollars okay okay the special comes out the next year if you made a hundred dollars the year before with that example what did you make the year after the first special net the expenditure on the special I just want to know what if you made a hundred dollars the year before. What do you make on tours the year after your special? Probably like a hundred bucks. So the same. You, 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 yeah, you, I mean, this, the first. Thank you, China. Costs a lot of money. So, you're, so, so, and so, so it sort of just paid for the special, the extra that you made. The, All right, let's keep going. Sure. So, okay, so now. Uh, presuming then you made $200 the second year but that paid for the thank you china special uh-huh. so now the next special comes out mm-hmm. and you've made $200 in your last tour much went to to pay for the other thing yeah yeah you made $200 the year before now the new special comes out what are you projected to make the year if that was 200 before what are you projected to make the next year after the spe- last special airs, like four or five hundred bucks. There you go. But, but, <laughs> <laughs> is there a bust? Yes, there's a huge bust, and that is that it's not because of the specials necessarily. It's all additive. It's like it. I I will still have clips from the first special and clips from before the first special from my times at the cellar and the clips that I've gotten from the cellar and all the other stand-up I've done that will do more for selling tickets than anything from any special and like clips from the special the first thank you china special will do wonders three years later more than the, the special I, from lucky lefty and so it it's all a kind of uh um a, a, it is all additive i wish it were very easy to correlate and 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 derive causation from one to the other but it, but i think i'm i don't want to say i'm unique in that regard because i think uh 
I think my peers like Mark and Stavi and Sam and a few others who have self-produced, like I think they can see a direct like, oh, we did this on this special. This special took us to this next level and that caused them to sell this many tickets. For me, it's been like up and down up and down this special that i put out two years ago is now doing a bunch of one numbers even better than the special i put out just a year ago so it's been all very additive um all that to say like the expenditure at the end of the day is just marketing right like if the special didn't sell and get youtube tickets i mean youtube clips and youtube revenue the only expectation in making this two, you know one i create a good piece of art that I think like stands the test of time and people who like comedy can see oh shit okay this is like a very well structured very well written piece of work both of them are goal one goal two will I be able to chop this up and put this out such that one of these clips will help me sell tickets or this whole thing will help me sell tickets and those goals are achieved one two three Six. Six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. Okay. Things. Just tell me what comes to mind. Yeah. Can be anything that comes to mind. Sure. A word, a sentence, a phrase. Sure. A little story. Chris Rock. Hero. Uh, you know, that's a guy who... We're here at the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival in 2023. In 2015... Um, I had auditioned for the third or fourth time for New Faces and I did well the first two times I auditioned I didn't deserve it the third time I auditioned I think I had a very good set and Jeff Singer still said no him and his dumb ass hat <laughs> and uh, I hope he hears this uh, uh, I think that's the least of his worries yes uh, <laughs> and a month later or two or three months two or three weeks later i was at my show broken comedy bar matchless and uh again like i had a lot that that new faces rejection really bothered my ego chris rock comes to bar matchless i do a set he sees it i hear him laugh um i have a blackout i crush come outside of my, the, the performance room the stage room Chris comes out after watching Langston Kerman who he was there to see um, very funny guy Langston and Chris comes out and says looks at me in the face and says you're really funny like you know he's surprised <laughs> and that I was like you're Chris Rock and that like to this day carries me like I, like who can say anything to me after Chris Rock the greatest of all time told me I was funny and like and then three months later I got a I got the Oscars writing job he gave me my first writing job he you know I worked with him on tambourine I got to play basketball with Adam Sandler because you know he brought me and a few other writers out to to like just hang out on set when he was making that movie the week of with Sandler and him and got, know Adam Sandler now because of him like you know he's the best like the best and the first and the the first comedian whose jokes I ever quoted you know bigger and blacker like my friends and I would just quote that in high school and uh, uh, I mean to know to know him now and to to say that he thinks I'm funny like it's gonna be in my tombstone
Columbia University. Rejected me twice, uh, once uh, in 2018 when I was kicked off stage, and then uh, uh, once when I applied to college. <laughs> so thank you for that, Columbia. And you know, also, let me say this on the record, Columbia University, not for, for that, not for that, not for the rejection either, but for, you know, they have this summer program uh, for high school students, he he comes from money. He's got to know about this. It's 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 like a thing for people whose parents have like five thousand spare five Gs that they could send their kids to this summer camp for like a month in New York City at Columbia, um, and they they kind of they couch it but they don't couch it and it's like hey it might help you get into this school when you know you can get letters of recommendation from the columbia professors and i went and my parents did not have five g's to like just throw away but they cobbled together thinking oh it's going to help them get into this really good school best one of the greatest summers i've ever had because i've made lifelong friends then um but like i'm sure there's tons of kids that went to that school thinking man i'm gonna get into columbia and like none of us that were in the uh, sweet together got into Columbia so f- Columbia for that reason a little scam you got going on shout you out Saturday Night Live Saturday Night Live I mean what a program uh, to anyone that shits on that program you uh you have no idea how hard it is to make a 90 minute show from scratch at the beginning like you start with zero and you go to SNL every week. Uh, those are like some of the funniest, hardest working people on the planet. And yeah, the show's got its flaws, but I mean, so it's been on for 40 years, 50 years. Um, I wish I stayed there longer. I wish my tenure there was longer, but it's fun to have been part, a very small part of that history. Uh, and uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully I'll host one day uh, when TV comes back. <laughs> if. <laughs> Seth Myers. I mean, Seth was uh, my first late night gig. I had to, I had to, the day I got the news that I wasn't going back to SNL was the same day I had to run my set for the booker of Seth Myers because I was, it was a Friday that they told me and three hours later I had to go to the cellar and run the five minutes so that I could do the set the following Tuesday. And, uh, um, it was like I'm very thankful that I got to do that because it helped me like not um, sit in self pity uh, that I'd just been let go from the show and I just got to be funny like I had to be funny almost immediately right after and then like the next day I had to go to Winnipeg to do Rumors Comedy Club and like so the trauma of being fired from like the best show of all time did not get to sit with me for a very long time and i'm very grateful for seth for giving me that i just remember going to the desk after the set and it's like so how's the show i was like oh i'm not going back and he's like oh <laughs> and then we had to look to the cameras and smile <laughs> like that shit was sad but <laughs> it was, thank you seth was that your biggest disappointment in show business what not going back to SNL? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it, I'm sure I've had a lot. Uh, you know, you do comedy for 14 years. Like, every year is some, a rejection of some kind. Um, every day, every minute. But 
yeah for sure i think it's definitely up there because it's such a storied program and um but i i have to be like you know what larry david was also one and done uh, as was hannibal and a lot of other people that have come from that program so uh yeah no that that definitely sucked i'm trying to think of what else no snl is probably like the, the one that slipped away the most but yeah how did you come back from that how did i come back from that i mean mentally mentally i don't think i've uh it didn't really like i'm sure it subconsciously impacted my psyche like man i'm not funny enough to be on that program or whatever but it was just like i said i threw myself into what got me snl in the first place which was stand-up you know like i had to do six shows at rumors comedy club in winnipeg thank you rumors in winnipeg like five day, four days after i'd been told i wasn't going back to the show and uh that was one of those like oh yeah i guess i am funny like i had a good time and i just continually did stand up and i got a lot of stand-up opportunities from that and that was really the bounce back um so yeah your proudest moment in show business my proudest moment in show business chris rock telling me i was funny and then getting the email from uh producers for getting the email from his team that i was going to be writing on the oscars uh like because that was like handpicked by chris to write on a program he was doing as my first writing job and i remember it was a new york comedy festival party that november again like mind you this is three months after being rejected from jfl new faces that i was at the comedy central party um the new york festival new york comedy festival comedy central like rap party or whatever and we had gotten the email that day and i remember running into langston kerman and michelle wolf at the middle of the party and we all got in that same email i'd seen each other on the thing and we were just like ah, we're writing for chris on the oscars and i remember i rem i was so proud that i um was talking to some woman and i didn't know who she was and i was like i cannot wait to tell jeff singer to suck my d i'm never doing his audition ever again and end up being his assistant and she's like why don't you tell him himself yourself i was like i will where is he where's this stupid fucking hat and uh i just remember being so and i auditioned again because my agents at the time were like you should probably audition and i was like i didn't want to but i did but it was like such a such a moment for me i'll remember it for the rest of my life for sure awesome last question what advice do you have for the young comedian growing up in an area that uh, might not be the greatest area in the world for growing up and might not be the greatest area in the world for creativity and fostering an entertainment career and navigating past all the obstacles and having the kind of amazing career that you're having discipline is like the most important thing I think in any facet of life if you want to be good at something you want to do something well and the the same energy with which you pursue like working out or your daily routine if you have one I, is the same energy with which you should pursue stand up or whatever it is you want creatively everyone thinks creative creativity is oh you're just walking down the street and some shit hits you in the face and now now i got this new angle to write about or something like that but 
you if you put the time to focus and sit around and think then creative stuff will happen for you i i i can't uh, prescribe anything for those gunshots going out outside of your window like move but like <laughs> like outside of, like it's if you can create your own engine and your own daily routine that discipline will carry you for a very long time like it it's i wish i were a lot more i wish when i was a kid when my parents were trying to instill discipline in me via like karate classes and whatever like that i actually like took it to heart because i'm like very undisciplined and but it's the times when i am disciplined about stuff that i get the best results awesome well i'm gonna say something that oh I... and also work hard smell good be nice <laughs> things will happen that's my uncle and conan <laughs> that's their combined advice work hard smell nice be kind you know? all right i'm gonna have to work on some things yeah, yeah. i just want to say i'm just finishing this off in the way that i haven't finished off before because i feel reverence for you oh thank so you i'm gonna say mr patel oh my goodness it was an honor to sit down with you thank really, you very truly, much and i really gained a lot of insight and i know the audience has i hope too, so too i'm so grateful to you thank, thank you very much for having me i appreciate it as always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. Because you're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, 
you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever.